Hey, well, welcome to Hope City Church. So glad that we get to be together today on this holiday weekend. A big hello to, to everybody in Shepherdsville, everyone here at South Louisville. My name's Jason, if I, if I haven't had a chance to introduce myself or meet you. Um, and I'm the pastor here, and uh, I'm just excited to be in church. How many people are excited to be in church? Come on, are you excited to be in church? Half, half of you are excited, which is fine. That's totally fine. Uh, I get that, but I, I, love, I love being in church, and um, I'm a church kid. I, I don't know if you've been around long enough to hear my story, but I'm a church kid. I'm raising a bunch of church kids. Like, we just love church. We love being in church. Most of my kids love being in church. Uh, my two boys, you know, like, the, every day they wake up, they say, Dad, are we going to church today? Like, they don't, they'll grow into it. That's fine. Um, but uh, just love being in church, and I actually heard, uh, I heard a great preacher's joke about being in church this week, and I've been practicing it. Can I tell it to you? Is it, would that be all right if I, if I, would I tell it to you? Okay, just laugh if it's not funny. Just make me feel better, okay? So there was, um, there was this little boy. His name was Alex, and uh, he was standing in the lobby of his church uh, one morning, and the, he was staring up at the wall at this plaque that had all this li- these lists of names and and American flags beside the names. And so the pastor of the church walks into the lobby. He sees little Alex looking up at this plaque, and Alex is just staring intently at this plaque. And, and the pastor kind of waits, and, and after a period of time, he walks up very respectfully, reverently. He walks up, and they're both standing there beside each other, and he, he, he looks up, and, and uh, he says, Hey, Alex, uh, how are you doing today? And Alex says to the pastor, he says, Pastor, what, what is this? And the pastor said, Alex, this is a list of all of the men and women who died in service. And the little boy just got huge eyes, and he looked at the pastor. He said, 9 or 11 a.m. That's all I got. I don't know. That's, that's, uh... Okay. Well, you know what? It was funnier than that, but that's okay. That's, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But dude, I am excited to be in church. And... Um, uh, we're going to jump into the sermon in just a second, but before we do that, I want to make sure that you know about a few things that are coming up, because we say all the time around here that church is not just a service, it's a family, and we want you to, to take some steps always to be more connected and get more involved. Growth group registrations are happening right now. Uh, they have been open over, uh, I think about 160 of you guys have signed up to be in groups, which is an amazing thing. We're pumped about that. And when you leave service today, both locations, there is an opportunity for you to get in a group. And even though so many of you have signed up, so many of you still have not. You're kind of on the fence. I was talking to a guy the other day, and he's like, I don't know. And here's what I told him, and I'll tell you the same thing. Try it two or three times, four times. And if you don't like it, bail, all right? We give you permission to bail. But we want you to give it a try because growth groups is where you go to make friends who help you grow it is, it is what we believe in. I'm in a growth group. I'm not just promoting it. I'm in one, and, uh, and our staff and our leaders are. So we want you to do that. You have a chance today. There's, there's leaders and members walking around with shirts on that say, ask me about my growth group. They mean that. You can ask them about it. They'd love for you to do that. And then next, uh, or this week, this Thursday, we're starting a brand new series called Made for Monday. I'm really excited about this. Four ways to love Jesus more and hate your job less. As a pastor, I'm being honest with you here, the, the top two things, when you talk to me, when you say, hey, can I talk to you? I really want to, I'm trying to understand something, process something or whatever. Whenever you're looking to just kind of talk, the top two things I hear, hands down, overwhelmingly are, 
either marriage problems or job problems. Marriage problems or job problems. Those are the two things. And so I kept hearing this so often. I told our team, I said, we got to talk about jobs and marriage. And so we're actually going to go into the job series coming up. And then in October, we're going to go into the relationship series, which will be a good time. So this is starting four ways to love Jesus more. Hate your job less. You can love Jesus more. You can hate your job less. And uh, it'd be a good series to bring somebody from your work with you, uh, but it's going to be a good time, so I'd love for you to be here for that, all right? Now, we finished our Break the Cycle series last week. We're starting Made for Monday this next week, and, um, and so this week, I wanted to just take uh, this time together to look at a story in the Bible that's really one of, um, it's one of those stories that when I started following Christ uh, and, and reading the Bible, it was one of those stories that always really resonated with me, always stood out to me. And it's in Matthew 13. If you want to grab a Bible, there's one in your seat or underneath the seat in front of you. Hopefully you got your sermon guide when you came in. You can grab that and, uh, and use that. We'll be using that a little bit. There's some page numbers on there for you, um, so you can do that. But we're going to read this story from, from Matthew 13 together. And, and as you I don't know how often you read the Bible. I don't know how much you read the Gospels. The Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We try to spend a lot of time in the Gospels here at Hope City because it's all about Jesus, and and Jesus changes your life, and so we want to talk about Jesus. But if you read much about Jesus at all or read the stories of Jesus much at all, what you notice really quickly is that he spent a lot of time talking about seeds. He spent a lot of time talking about farming. He spent a lot of time talking about gardening, which maybe you know about. I don't know a lot about it. I'm just going to go ahead and be honest about that, all right? But, but maybe you know something about that. But the people at the time who were listening to Jesus, they knew everything about it because they all worked the land. They, they all were knew about agriculture in some sense. And so as you read these stories, it would be easy to think that Jesus was like a gardener or a farmer and when actually he was, uh, he was a carpenter. But he talked about seeds specifically all the time, all the time. He was talking about, about seeds. And, and the point that he was making over and over again about these seeds that he was always talking about is that small things, small things turn into big things. That's what the point that he was making over and over again. I'm going to show you this, but Jesus was making the point that small things turn into big things. And this is true in the good sense and in the bad sense, that in, 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 the, in good ways, Small things turn into big things, and in bad ways in our lives, small things turn into big things. And you, you don't have to find it. If you have your spot where we're going to be in Matthew 13, that's fine. I want to just show you in this same chapter, Matthew 13, that we're going to be hanging out in, even in this short, uh, or not short, but even in this chapter, Jesus talks a ton about this idea, like, so we're going to read, we're actually going to start at verse 1 and read in just a second, but in verse 24, he tells a story, Jesus does, about, about a mustard seed in verse 31, and, and he says in that story, this is a parable, it's, it, it, but in that story, he says that a life with God starts out small like a mustard seed, but it grows into the largest of garden plants. Here's the point, because small things become big things, that in our faith, that it can feel small, but that Small things become big things. The very next story, he talks about a woman baking bread, and he says that a life with God is like mixing a smallest amount of yeast in with the flour, and it spreads throughout because he was making the point that small things make a big difference. 
Small things make a big difference. Just a few stories over, he says that life with God is like a man who found a gold coin in a field, and so he sold everything to buy that field. And here's what he wanted to, to make, the point he wanted to make is that small clues can lead to a big discovery. And I don't know if you're seeing this theme, but Jesus taught this idea over and over and over again that we should not overlook small things. We should not overlook small, small things. And the challenge for us is that we're impatient, as a, just as a culture. We're impatient. We struggle to see the value in small things. We typically want big results right away. Come on, how many people are like me? You don't want to lose a pound a week. You want to lose 52 pounds in one week. Let me see your hand. Come on. Don't want to lose a pound a week. That takes too long. But 52 pounds, what do I need to do? Like a juice cleanse? What's the deal? How do I lose 52 pounds in one week? That would be what I'm going for. That's kind of our mindset about life, right? That we, we don't really appreciate small, small gains. I read a story this week about a guy named Ron Wayne. You may be uh, familiar with this, but he was one of the three original um, Apple owners, along with Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. But just 12 days after Apple was incorporated, he decided that it was a little too much of a risk and he wasn't comfortable. So he sold his share of the company for $800. Yeah, that's depressing. He would be a billionaire, a billionaire if he'd have held on to that. And at the time, it didn't seem that important because it was so small, right? But it was going to be something big. What about this one? If your great-grandparents, if your great-great-great-grandparents had purchased one share of the original Coca-Cola stock in 1892, that $100 investment would be worth $7.34 billion, right? That, 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 is, that, that is something that was small that grew into something big. Now, here, here's the point. I said it's easy to it's easy it's easy to appreciate something or recognize something see the value in something when it is fully developed it's easy to appreciate something when it's when it's matured but when it's still small it's easy to assume that it doesn't really matter or it's not that important or that it doesn't have value. And Jesus shows up and he says, no, 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 no. That's not the way that it works. Everything in your life that matters to you started small. Everything. Maybe right now you're thinking, like, is that true? You start thinking about everything. Everything in your life that really matters to you right now, no matter how substantial it is, big it is, great it is, started small. That child that you love started really small. Even though in your pregnancy photos, six weeks, you're sticking that belly out, right? Nope. Was that big? Baby, was that big? Started small, tiny, right? Small. Maybe you have a big bank account now, and it's important to you, but it, it, it started small, I would be willing to bet that the first place that you lived with your spouse, pretty small, pretty small. Maybe you have a talent or a skill that you love and that, that, that you feel like is something that's a best feature about you. I would be willing to bet that that talent or that skill started small, small. Everything that you value and that matters to you and that really means something to your life 
developed over time. That's why you value it. That's why you appreciate it. And you've probably never thought of it this way. Maybe you have, I don't know. But every forest you've ever seen started as a seed, as a seed. Every, 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 all the woods that you hunt in, every tree that you sit in with a gun, I don't know, I'm not a hunter, but anyway, all right, whatever. Seed, started to see. The Amazon rainforest started as a seed, I think. I haven't verified that, but let's just go with it right now, okay? It started as a seed. And sometimes it feels like it would be easier if, if in our spiritual lives, God would just do big things in big ways. It would be so much easier to have faith, wouldn't it? It would be so much easier to have faith if God would just like appear. Like you're just in your bedroom, you know, this morning. You're like, I don't know, do I, should I go to church? And God stands in your room and says, yes, you should go to church. You would come to church because that's like big and grandiose, you know. Maybe there's a lot of people in culture who are losing faith, you know, and if God would just kind of appear in the sky and be like, hey, everybody, I know you're kind of doubting right now, but don't doubt, have faith. Here I am. See, I'm legit. And then people would have faith. We think, man, that would be so easy if God would just do a big thing in a big way, and then everybody would believe, and then everybody would just get it, and then nobody would doubt. That would be so much better. In my own spiritual life, like, I don't want a seed, God. Like, I want, like, a, a forest of faith. I want, I want a mountain of faith. I want something big. But that's not how God grows our spiritual life. It's not what he does. God starts with seeds. Starts with seeds. And even in this moment right now that has brought you to this place, whether you've been following Jesus for 20 years or you're a first-time guest and you haven't been to church in 20 years, if you, were, if you would stop and you would begin to think back or begin to piece things together, what you would realize is that you're where you are right now spiritually because of a seed. That, that at some point in your life, somebody planted a seed. God used someone to plant a seed. There was a, a grandmother or a great-grandmother who was praying for you. And even though you had no interest in God, maybe one day you were over at their house for a meal and they said, hey, I haven't given up on you. I'm praying for you. God loves you. And you were like, oh, whatever, Grandma. But that seed was planted in your heart and you never really forgot it. Or maybe you had a friend who believed in Jesus, but you didn't really believe in Jesus. But every time you were around them, they seemed to have joy. And it was a seed that was planted in your heart. Why is it that the people who know Jesus seem to have so much more joy than the people who don't. There's a seed that was planted, right? A seed that was planted in your heart. Because that's the way that God works. An idea, a gift, a dream, that's the way it works. God plants a seed, and it starts out incredibly small. It starts out like a nagging thought. It starts out like a feeling. It starts out like a question, but it grows into something and it could grow into something big. And so this story that we're going to read together in Matthew 13 is a story about seeds. And the point that Jesus is going to teach us is that seeds have to land in the right soil to grow. And, and he's going to be talking about our hearts. So if you have a Bible, if you've already found that, grab that. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to read for nine verses and then we're going to skip down to, to verse 18. All right, so here we go. Let's read this together. 
Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. And he told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. So this is a parable. It's a fictional story uh, that Jesus is using to make a point. And so he says, listen, a farmer, that's God, went out to plant some seeds. And as he scattered them across this, this field, some seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still, other seed fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now skip down to verse 18, because maybe you're like, I have no idea what that means. You and the disciples agree on that. Verse 18, the disciples come to Jesus, and they say, what in the world did that story mean? And he says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seed. Verse 19, here we go. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. Now, here's what I want to do today with this story that we just read. I want us to look at the four ways that Jesus says we respond to God's truth. In this story, God is the farmer we are the soil, our hearts are the soil, and the seed is the truth of God's word. And Jesus says that when you hear the message, the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel message that Jesus Christ came from heaven, he died in our place because we couldn't save ourselves, that when you hear that, when you hear the truth of God's word through a sermon or a podcast or a conversation or a song or whatever it is, when you hear the truth of God's word, all of us, every person in the room and every person watching, you hear it or receive it in one of four ways. That in Hope City Church right now, in every church in, a, in America, every church in the world, there are four types of people, and, and these are four ways that we receive God's truth. And the reason that this is so important, the reason we're taking time to talk about it today is because Jesus is trying to give us a little bit of a warning, trying to give us a little bit of a heads up, and here's the warning and the heads up, and it's going to sound a little scary. He's not trying to scare you. He's trying to warn you. Here's his point is that not everyone who says, I believe, not everyone who says, yeah, I'm a Christian, not everyone who says, I'm in, is in. Because they haven't received the truth of God's word. Now, when we say that, it can cause us to fear a little bit, like, oh my God, well, I thought I was in. I'm not, I'm not in. You're telling me I'm not in. I'm not going to make it. I remember as a kid, I grew up in some religious environments where they would just literally scare the hell out of you. You know what I mean by that? Like, they would just make you so scared of hell that any other option was good. You'd have signed up for anything other than that, you know what I mean? And every week they would just 
you know, have you messed up this week? You better not have messed up this week because you're going to hell. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I mean, I, I went to the altar every week. Like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to go to hell. And, and so Jesus is not trying to scare everyone, but he is trying to challenge us to say, have I really received, believed, and put my faith in the truth of God's word? So let me give you these four. If you got your sermon, God, grab those. And write these in, four ways that we respond, and all of us in the room respond to it in one of these four ways. Four ways we respond to God's truth. Number one, some people, when they hear the truth of God's word, they're confused. It's the first way we respond. It's what Jesus said. We're taking this right out of the story that we read. Look at what he said in verse 19. He said, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those that hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. He's describing here someone with a hard heart, the footpath. It's a hard heart, right? And he's not saying that you don't understand it because you don't have intelligence or competence, even though that may be it. Maybe the lack of understanding is really just needing to ask some questions, but he's really more describing people who can't receive it because their hearts are hard, that they know it, that they could quote it, they maybe could quote Bible verses that they've memorized. Maybe they know the stories of the Bible. They know the words. They know the information. But Jesus says it has not gone into their heart. They know it in their head, but they don't know it in their heart. And they don't understand it. They know it. They could quote it. They could tell it to you, but they don't understand it. And maybe as you hear that, you'd say, well, how do I know if I understand it? Here's how you know if you understand it. Is if there has been a moment in your life when you finally grasp the message of the gospel and it took your breath away or it caused you to become emotional and cry or it was a light bulb moment where you realized, I can't save myself only Jesus can save me. I need grace. I'm not better than anybody else. I, I'm, I'm not saved because of me or my intelligence or my behavior or my goodness. I need Jesus. If there has not been a moment where you can tell somebody who Jesus is and what he's done, but you have not felt and understood and had an experience of just a, an opening in your heart where you say, oh my gosh, I get it. I get it. I get it. I was trying to think this week, how could we explain knowing something but not understanding something? And you may know a couple of these, but I think this is probably the best, the best way I could think of to explain it. And these are just some famous logos. And I know some of these, everybody knows Amazon, Amazon runs the world, you know. But maybe you've seen all these logos that I'm going to show you. You know the logos, but I'm not sure you understand the logos. Maybe you know these, but so this is Amazon. Everybody knows Amazon. I'm going to start with kind of an easy one because maybe you know this. But did you when, you, when you see the Amazon logo, have you ever noticed that the logo is from A to Z? Because Amazon sells everything. So maybe some of you are like seeing that for the first time. But you can know the Amazon logo but not understand the Amazon logo because the creator of the logo, the person who created it, had a meaning to it. And the meaning was Amazon can get you everything from A to Z. So you can know it but not understand it. Some of you are like, oh, my gosh, there it is right there. Light bulb moment. You understand it now, right? You understand it. And now that you see it, you'll never not see it because you understand it. What about this one? Baskin-Robbins. Have you ever noticed in the Baskin-Robbins there's 31? 
You ever seen that? Because there's 31 flavors in Baskin-Robbins, so the B and the R, but in the R there's 31. Maybe you've, maybe you've seen and know, if, if I threw that up, you're like, oh yeah, that's Baskin-Robbins, you know? And you know it, but you never understood it because the creator of it had a meaning to it. And when you see it, they wanted you to know that Baskin-Robbins has 31 flavors. And now that you see it, you'll never not see it. Same with God. Once you understand the message of the gospel, you can never not understand it. It's life-changing. Let me show you another one. FedEx, maybe, maybe you've seen this one. You, you, have you seen the arrow in FedEx right here? FedEx gets it to you. There's an arrow right there. Now that you see it, you'll never not see it. I promise you that it's not just the letters for FedEx. There's an arrow. Some of you are still looking. Hold on one second. That's how I look at, the, at every ultrasound when we were pregnant. I never saw it. Let me, let me just show you right here. Right there. See the arrow? Right there. The creator of the logo wanted you to know FedEx is coming. We're headed that way. So you can know it, but not understand it. Let me give you one more. Levi's, this logo. Did you know that this, these are butt cheeks? Did you know that? I'm just kidding. Those are not butt cheeks. I'm just kidding. Th those are actually pockets. Those are the way the pockets on a Levi goes. But now that you've seen that, you always think butt. You always think butt. I'm just, that's awful. I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, all right. So, so you, can, you, can, you can know something but not understand it. That's the first group of the people. And maybe this is you, Jesus, saying, like, you've been around. You've been, some have been around it your whole life. Yeah, I know it. I know it. I know that story. I know that. Watch. You can predict what's going to happen in the service. Oh, I know that song. One of the ways you can tell if you're, if you're, if you're hard-hearted is that you're very critical of things that are happening that are supposed to be spiritual. You're very critical of them sarcastic, cynical. These are all signs of hard-hearted confusion that you know it, but you don't understand it. Here we go. Number two, another way that we respond to God's truth is we're excited. Some people are confused. And they're in this room and watching this today, but some people are excited. And Jesus said in, uh, in verse 20, he said, the seed that fell on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. That sounds like a great thing, right? Sounds like a great thing. But, 21, since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. This represents people that when they come in contact with a new church or uh, maybe they raise their hand to give their life to Christ or uh, whatever it is, they fall head over heels, I am in, I will clean the bathrooms, I will go to Africa, I will do anything. I mean, sign me up, like this is the greatest thing that's ever happened, which sounds amazing, and it is, and there's nothing wrong with enthusiasm. The challenge is that sometimes it's easy to think that enthusiasm is, 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 is spiritual growth, that the more excited you are, the more spiritual you are. The more excited you are, the more spiritual mature you are, which is not true. What Jesus is saying here is that there are people that shoot up with enthusiasm the first week they hear about it or the first month that they find it, but their, their, their knowledge of God, their relationship with God, their experience with God is just very surface level. This is shallow soil. If the first group is hard heart, this would be like a shallow heart. No depth. 
no connection. And so they're excited about Jesus or they're excited about their new church until they're not excited about it and then they're gone. And you're like, where'd they go? And they're gone because they're either excited about something else or they lost their zeal or their joy and they had no roots. And so it wasn't that they fully grasped the message and the truth of God's word. It was just just kind of an emotional excitement. And again, hear me, nothing wrong with enthusiasm. Just like there's nothing wrong with information. I love information. But more information is not spiritual growth. Just like more excitement and enthusiasm is not spiritual growth. That it doesn't mean that anything's growing or that anything is happening in our heart like God wants us to do. And so maybe, maybe as you're listening to this right now, like you're feeling a little bit challenged, like, do I have a relationship with God or do I have a relationship with my church? Do I love Jesus and do I love that Jesus saved my soul when I could not save my soul and, and came to earth? Or do I love the way that I feel when I come to church, or I've made friends since I've got here, and do I love that is because it's a friend group, or has the truth of God and the message of the gospel of Jesus taken root in my heart? Because when it's taken root in your heart, it's, you're able to stay there committed even when you're not excited, and trust me, if you're a new Christian, you need to know this, at some point here in the next few weeks or months, you're going to wake up one day, and you're going to wonder what happened and what's wrong because you're not going to be as excited right, as you are right now. That doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. It just means that there's growth that has to happen. Does that make sense? Let's look at another one. Four ways you respond to God's truth. Oh, let's back up here. Number three, conflicted. Some people are confused. Some people are excited. Some people are conflicted. Jesus said in, in verse 22, he said, the seed that fell on among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth so no fruit is produced. Jesus is describing people who want God. So the first two groups, like, they never even kind of make it long enough. They never even start, or they just start but then stop. They never even make it into uh, an extended period of time in a relationship with God. The third group, they do. The problem is there's just constantly feeling conflicted. That I, I do want God, but... I want something else equally or more than I want God. If the first group was a hard heart and the second group was a shallow heart, we would describe this as like a, a thorn, T-H thorn, like a thorny heart. That, that, that like it feels like, like serving God is no fun. There's no joy. There's no excitement. There's no enthusiasm because you always feel guilty. You always feel conflicted. You always feel choked like I, I do want to be committed to God, but I want to be successful more. I want to get married more. I want a relationship more. I want, uh, I want fame more. I, I want whatever it is. I want that more than I want a relationship with God. And what happens in this group right here is that Jesus says no fruit is ever produced because all of the effort and production goes to the other thing that has our heart, right? That's because it's conflicted. And so maybe you're listening to this and you're feeling challenged. Jesus says there are people that hear the word, even receive the word. The seed goes into their heart, but they cannot produce fruit because they don't truly, fully believe that Jesus is better than anything else. 
And if more information is not spiritual growth, and if more enthusiasm is not spiritual growth, it would be easy to say that like more status or more accomplishments is not spiritual growth either. And this is hard to tell sometimes because somebody can walk through the doors of a church and like run a successful business and have a great family and look good and be put together. And you can go, oh, they're so mature. But that's not the same thing as spiritual maturity, Right? And so, and so it's easy sometimes to look at people and say, oh, I bet they would be a good leader. I bet they're a good spiritual leader or spiritual mature because their life is put together. But Jesus says that has nothing to do with spiritual maturity. Wow. Yeah. It's not spiritual growth. So let me, let me give you one more. Don't be depressed. We're getting to the good news right here. The fourth, some people are confused. Some people are excited. Some people are conflicted. But Jesus says there is a group that's committed. It's committed. Verse 23 says, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear. They truly hear it, not just with their head, but with their heart. They understand it. It takes root in their life. And they produce a harvest 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. And when Jesus is telling this story to the people in this time, and really even now, it's ludicrous. Nothing gets 100%. Return, You know, nothing, nothing, no seed gets that. But Jesus is saying, when the word of God, the truth of God, the message of God takes root in your heart and you live a life fully committed to Jesus Christ, your life will be more fruitful, more productive, more satisfying than anything else that you could ever try to do, accomplish, or be. It's more satisfying, more fruitful, more productive. People who are committed Maybe as you're listening to this, you're feeling challenged and you're saying, have I had this experience? Jesus isn't trying to fool anybody. There's no fool's gold. He's not pulling a rug out from under you. He doesn't want people to, you know, you know, you got to re-up every like year because you thought you were saved, but you're not saved. That's not what he's saying. He's just challenging you to ask, like, has God's message really taken root in my heart or is it just really informational for me? Or is it just really emotional for me? Or is it just an obligation for me? Or am I committed? So that even when something doesn't make sense, or I don't agree with something the Bible says, I'm not bailing. That even when I don't feel like it, I'm not bailing. That even when I'm conflicted because something else in this world is so attractive, or there's a way of life that I want to live that that, that, that is not the way that I should, or, there, or there's something else out there that I say, this is what I want, and, and, and this is not exactly what God wants, but this is what I want. You know what? I'm going to lay that down because I am committed because the message of the truth of God has taken root in my heart. I can't not know. I can't not see it. I've experienced the goodness of God. I've experienced the grace of God. I know what it means to be saved and to be forgiven. I know what it feels like for the burden of the sin of my life to be taken off my shoulders and to be walking around knowing that I am loved and accepted and forgiven and saved by Jesus Christ. I can't not know that. I can't not experience that. I am committed. And if you're here and you'd say, I haven't experienced that. Yeah, I raised my hand one Sunday. Yeah, I've been coming to church, but I'm not hearing it the way you're hearing it, I'm looking at my life and I don't see 30, 60, 100 time fruit in my life. It could be. It could be. That you know about it, but you haven't experienced it. 
It, it could be that you jumped in and you're excited about it, but you haven't really experienced it. It could be that you're obligated to it, but you haven't really experienced it. And what Jesus wants for you more than anything else in your life, as you're listening to these words, is that the, the seed, it just starts as a seed, would go into your heart and that you would begin to grow a relationship with God. And maybe it doesn't feel like much in the beginning, but small things become big things. Small things become big things. And it starts with committing your life to Jesus, but it grows into something 30, 60, 100 times larger than you ever imagined it could be. And that's my prayer for you is that if you know about it or excited about it, feel obligated to it, but you haven't truly experienced it, that today you would decide, I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ. Committing my life to Jesus Christ because I want to experience growth in a relationship with God. If that's you, in just a moment, your campus pastor is going to come after we sing some songs and going to give you a chance to take that step. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit in the next four or five, six minutes, ten minutes would, would, would challenge you to take that step today. I don't care if you've been coming to this church for 10 years or 20 years or if this is your first time. If you feel the Holy Spirit messing with your heart and your mind and you know like Either I've never committed my life or I've been a religious person, but I have not experienced what Jesus just described right there. My prayer is today, you wouldn't be embarrassed, you wouldn't be ashamed, you wouldn't be, uh, you know, afraid. You would say, yeah, I want that today, and your campus pastor is going to give you that opportunity. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that when we did not have a way to save ourselves, you sent a way for us to be saved. And that was Jesus. And God, you're not asking us to be good people. You're not asking us to, to be nicer. You're not asking us to work harder or be more disciplined. You're asking us to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And that doesn't make sense to a normal mind, but God, when you plant a seed in our heart, through the Holy Spirit, it makes all the sense in the world. And so, God, I pray that every person who hears my voice right now, if they are not experiencing a fruitful life with God, they would take a moment to just question and challenge themselves. Have I truly accepted the truth of God's word? Thank you, God, for grace and love and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.